if you look at the pink white border, the entry point for the needle should always be in the pink on the pink white border, not right on the middle. Welcome to the Aesthetics Mastery Show. I'm Dr. Tim Pierce. Hi, I'm Miranda Pierce. And we've got a really important show for you today. It's about the migration crisis. Yeah, it's a real thing. <laughs> I was on holiday and there were many people suffering from this problem. So let's dive in. Okay, so obviously you're not talking about actual migrants. You're talking about filler migrating across the Vermilion border. So what did you observe while we're on holiday? So yes, we were on holiday recently and I know many of you have the same issue, which is you can't always switch off your aesthetic brain. And I'm just looking around at all these people and so many young girls had this problem with migrated filler. And um, I actually feel like it's a real problem that we all need to start talking about and pre to prevent it getting worse because I actually think from certain angles, these people are downgraded instead of upgraded. And we need to all be aware, conscious of it, talk to our clients about it and prevent it from happening. So um, there's a lot to understand about why this happens and takes a lot of sophisticated understanding of the anatomy and your products. Um, but let's do that and let's talk to our clients about it so we can prevent it. So how does this even happen? It's quite complex. And what I suggest we do instead of just saying, oh, it's the product or injection technique, let's all work together on developing our mental models so that we make the right decisions to prevent this happening to our clients. So it all really starts with the injector having a really good mental model of what's actually going on in the lips. So what do you mean by mental model? So the, a mental model of anything is essentially your mind's idea of how the different components fit together. So what are the fundamental truths around the product, anatomy, injection technique, and how do those work together in a system? It's essentially the cause and effect relationship between fundamental truths of what is actually going on underneath the skin. So there's an awful lot to learn and you can get incredibly academic about it, but that's the most interesting part of aesthetics for many of us, which is this constantly shifting understanding so that we get better and better results. But it's essentially it's that. What are your fundamental assumptions about how dermal filler actually works in the skin within the anatomy? And how are those true? And how can you improve upon them so you make better decisions in your injection, injection practice? Can you give an example of fundamental assumptions? So fundamental assumptions would be something like um, when dermal filler is in the skin, it integrates well and then it doesn't spread. Or uh, another one might be that the superior labial artery is nearly always underneath orbicularis oris. These sorts of these are fundamental ideas which change your decision making practice. Another example, which we'll touch on more later, is could be that dermal filler doesn't integrate that well into tissue, and so it is kept in place by tissue compartments. So it flows within individual compartments and then stops. These are all ideas that you'll see injectors talking about, and it's up to you actually to figure out which one you think is most likely true so that you make good decisions in your practice. So what are some examples of fundamental assumptions? So these are really about the things that you hold to be true that you can use to predict the outcome of a treatment. So if I said, for example, um, a good filler integrates well within the tissue within the first few minutes and therefore doesn't move out of place very easily. That's a fundamental assumption. So if that is true, we can predict what will happen with filler in the future. Um, another uh, assumption might be filler is held in place by the different tissue compartments. So if you have a, an anatomical structure that forms a boundary, that is the essential thing that stops tissue, stops filler from moving. That's a different assumption because both of those relate to what is it that keeps our treatment the way we did it on the day and stops it from changing or migrating. 
And those are two different explanations. One might be tissue integration, one might be anatomical boundaries. And different injectors will weigh that up differently and make different assumptions. A another example might be that no matter what product you're injecting, it's injection technique that decides what the result looks like. So it's all in the hands. It's all to do with the anatomy and the placement of the product. This is another way of thinking about injectables. And of course, there are many, many ide other ideas that come into it. And you should listen carefully to all the expert injectors you can start to build your own complex net of assumptions that you can rely on base and that you verify with your own clinical practice. Okay, so presumably that's building a better mental model. How can we do that? Yeah, so mental models start with your very first training session. So the first day that you learn the anatomy of the face, that becomes a very simple mental model. And most people learn it in two dimensions. You know, you know where the arteries are, you know where the muscles are, and you start to inject. And then over time, you realize how important it is uh, to get better and better at that until you have a complex three-dimensional relationship built up in your head between, you know, the fat pads and the muscles and the nerves and the arteries. And then you start to relate that with injection technique. Um, and then someone will throw other things in like products and you, you're all the time honing in this practice by hearing other people's experience, um, reading, testing it very importantly on your own patients. So you should be reflecting. If you ever see something uh, on one of your patients that doesn't fit your mental model, um, there's something there that's saying you're, you're actually operating in a way that isn't completely true. You need to reflect on that. So I would say it's the sequence. It's theoretical knowledge that you need to develop. Then you need to apply it and see if your experience matches that theoretical um, knowledge. Then you need to listen to really good injectors, thoughtful injectors who share their understanding and see how that interacts with what you believe to be true. And often there'll be contradictions that simply don't match. And this causes a lot of anxiety. I've, I know I've seen many injectors go to their first big conference and suddenly everything's shattered because they're hearing different stories from different experts. And it's not just you if you felt that way. This is how we all feel when you first go in. The task at hand is to try and pull out of those stories that other injectors tell you the fundamental assumptions and once and then ask yourself, is that really true? And is there evidence to back that up? Or is there an experience you've had to back it up or to or to refute it? And then you decide what to decide what to keep and what to discard in your own decision making process. So how does this relate to filler migration? So filler, mi filler migration, we, we're all should be in a battle to defend the border, if I presume. <laughs> so um, the reason for this is because aesthetically, it's a big downgrade. A, a, de a beautifully defined vermilion border is an essential part of beauty. And you can make lips big and full and round and even give them the right angles. But if you lose the border, you've lost something really, really important. So we all should be thinking constantly when I'm injecting, how do I create definition on the border without losing the border in three months time through filler migration? Mm. So we have to therefore have a mental model of how does this filler behave in the skin? What keeps it in place? And what are the factors that I can change in order to maximize the, the chance of longevity with a beautiful defined vermilion border? So presumably we need to challenge our fundamental assumptions. How do we actually go about making a better mental model? So everyone forms a mental model in the same way, which is initially you get given one by the first person who attempts to train you. If you know nothing, that's the start of it. Here, Here is a, the anatomy of the face and here's a product. And you think if I inject that, I'll get a particular result. Now, of course, the, your first day of training, that mental model is usually 
um, rather unsophisticated, shall we say, and then you need to start to iterate and improve upon it. So that's when we go into um, the question is, how do you get the most sophisticated and accurate mental model? Because actually, it's not about complexity, it's about accuracy. We're always trying to find out what is true and operate according to fundamental truths. These are your fundamental assumptions. So it starts with theory. And then you need to get some, apply it to practice. So that interaction between theory and practice with some reflection. I know all of you do reflective practice anyway, but that's really, really key to, to honing your mental model. You should be saying, if I believe this product will behave in a certain way and it doesn't, that one of my assumptions about my product or the procedure or injection technique or anatomy is actually wrong and I need to change everything or at least find out what that is so that I can make a better decision next time and and control the variables better. So um, that's the application to practice is key. And of course, learning from others, finding out what their mental, mental model is. And then once your model is quite well developed, it's actually really good intellectual fun to clash it with other people who disagree with you and see who, who in your mind comes out best. And this thinking process is where actually new ideas and a new understanding actually comes from. So we need to look at the evidence, listen to other people's stories about how they understand treatments and the long-term effects of dermal fillers um, or whatever it is that you're doing, and then kind of crunch them together and and see what you can learn from that interaction between differing ideas. Just make that real for us. Like what kind of, give us an example of, of two, the clash of two ideas. So actually, so this actually came from a discussion on our closed Facebook group for, for Litmasters. And so we're always discussing techniques on there. And someone shared a really thoughtful post, which got us all talking, which is what I love about uh, that kind of thoughtful injector. So Dr. Harris shared his theory around why the Russian lip technique might cause migration. And it's a beautiful example of a, me of a mental model, which essentially uh, the thesis, if I'm, if I understand it correctly, is that when you're placing dermal filler through with the technique that he described, you're essentially making holes through the insertion of orbicularis oris into the lip body. And those holes um, remain open to some degree. And when there is movement, the filler basically then seeps out of the, the correct spot and into the, the white part of the lip and you get filler migration. So that that's a great example of a mental model. We have some assumptions about filler, assumptions about anatomy and assumptions about um kind of flow of product, pressure differences, um, the dynamics of the mouth, and how all of them could could possibly contribute to migration of dermal filler. And in that example, Dr. Harris has articulated that on his on his, you know, whatever Instagram page. Is it worthwhile us almost like articulating our own and kind of just being really conscious, like writing it down in a journal or something like that to to say these are my mental models? Yeah, well, I think, um, I mean, writing it down would be really good because you'd force that in the process of expression, you do, you do often see mistakes in your own understanding or you, you, you see it differently to how you just almost unconsciously imagine it. So yeah, writing it down. I mean, what we all normally do is we're explaining it to patients. So I always say, even if you're not a trainer, the chance to explain your treatments to patients in detail, you should, you should take you, anyone, particularly nervous patients. I always quite like them because they, they make you take away the uncertainty. They basically say, teach me how you're doing this in a way that you're maximizing the certainty afterwards. So um, they're a great way to, to articulate your mental model. And as you're saying it, you may sometimes hear yourself say something and think, I don't know if that's definitely true now that I say it out loud. Uh, and that's the kind of thing which, which happens when you express your, your mental model. I'm going to express mine later. And I actually want you guys to pull it apart. Like if I say something that doesn't make sense, 
um, it's actually really beneficial for me for me to say to hear someone say that doesn't make sense because of this fact. And there may be something left field that we've not thought of before that actually does shift our whole understanding. And together, that's kind of what we'll do by engaging with the conversation. Mm. So I'm really grateful for those trainers and injectors. They may not be trainers who share their models um, because obviously they they may differ. And in that collision between the two, we all get better. But it, I think what you're trying to say as well is let's not get upset when you suddenly go to a conference and it's all new and you're like, oh, my God, I've not got the latest technique. Actually, you need to say, OK, that's another way of looking at it. Yeah. I've, if there's one thing you take from this, take from it that um, no one has all the answers. Uh, together, we're more likely to move towards all the answers. And um, you just need to be trying to find the truest thing you can and relate other things to that. Um, and so it's a constant process of looking at the evidence, understanding it and uh, and seeing how it all works and then making, matching that to reality. Making your own decisions and not getting disheartened. Absolutely. So how does this relate to the lip border? So in the in the beautifully articulated and animated case that uh, Dr. Harris did, um, the the story would be Russian lip technique causes migration because um, you leave a track through the orbicularosaurus muscle that when there is movement allows filler to move back up and then to hide the border. So that is a beautiful example of a mental model. Um, there are there are assumptions built into that that we need to try and understand in order to analyze how true that is likely to be because you need to understand those assumptions with your assumptions and then you're kind of trying to figure out who which assumption do you think is most likely correct. And unfortunately, a lot of this, there won't be solid evidence for it. It's, it's kind of piecing together your experience and components of evidence and seeing what happens. So um, the first assumption is around what the what the Russian lip technique actually is. And unfortunately, this is highly variable. There are, there are so many different people calling their technique Russian lip technique that it's hard to know for sure what it actually is. Um, what I saw described, um, essentially, it's an injection that crosses 90 degrees across the million border. And uh, that's a better description of it than saying Russian lip technique because there are variations of the Russian lip technique that don't that don't sat, don't fit exactly that way. I know, for example, one way that um, I've seen it done is to is through one entry point you do multiple threads. So that's already changed the fundamentals of that injection because you're now no longer putting so many holes through that muscle if that's even a factor. So that would be one assumption is um, does is is what the Russian lip technique actually is. So you could say it's something else. It doesn't really matter for the purposes of understanding the mental model. Call it what you will. It's an injection through the muscle, through orbicularis, uh, oculi, orus, um, into the lip body, and then running a line of filler back, which is a technique done all over the world. The, the next assumption would be, because looking at the description, would be about exactly where that entry point is. So I've been teaching for years, if you do that technique, to be as anterior as you can. And the reason for that is you will actually, you can actually miss in many cases, you're not going through the orbicularosaurus or the insertion into the skin. You're actually going anterior to it, which keeps you away from the artery. It decreases trauma. Um, it'll decrease the chance of bruising, vascular occlusion. And simply by moving it two millimeters, it's, you can almost not see it. If you watch an Instagram video of someone doing that, they look like the same technique, but you're actually two, two millimeters anterior to where the artery should be and skimming over the most risky places, which does change quite a lot of the, of that description, but that doesn't mean that, that that mental model is wrong because he's talking about a technique and that people actually do. I'm just saying there is there is a different way of doing that technique which might shift what you'd predict to happen. Only a two millimeter shift could change that. Um, so the next, what's the next assumption? The next assumption is how mobile filler is within the product because in that story, the assumption is if you create high pressure in the lip body, that there's a lower pressure area 
which now has holes connected through it um, in the white part of the lip, and you'd be squeezing from high pressure to low pressure and filling the top part of the lip. And that requires the product to remain mobile. So tissue integration, essentially the story is there that there is, or the assumption is filler doesn't integrate quickly enough or completely enough to prevent this pressure difference that will allow filler to move into the white part of the lip. And um, this is very much around the physics of the of the material we're actually injecting. And uh, it's difficult to know for sure, but um, studies have been done that tissue integration does happen and tissue integration is probably different with different fillers. And this is, this is something else that you might see in many of the, of many injectors assumptions, which is it's all about injection technique. Doesn't matter what filler it is, the same thing happens. Now, obviously when you say that out loud, I'm already thinking, I don't think many people would tick that box and say they're identical. Probably are little differences in how quickly tissue uh, integration occurs and therefore how likely it is for this product to then diffuse into the wrong place. So how does this differ from your mental model? So it, it differs in a number of ways. I mean, the first thing I'd say is the technique that I imagine Russian lip to be, well, at least the technique that I've, I advocate for is different. So you're more anterior. I think I've already said that, but you're, you're therefore not actually making those individual holes. Um, the second thing would be filler doesn't flow that easily out of holes. Certainly doesn't last for long. And I think if, and the reason I would say for that is I don't often find it's a problem that if you squeeze an area you've just injected, filler doesn't come out. I don't find that it flows that easily across pressure differences. So, I mean, it must move slightly, but I don't feel like it's a, it's a major factor that one, um, that if you place it correctly, that it'll immediately flow back out the hole. Um, the other thing would be that I'm also imagining if you look at the anatomy of the lip, the, the essential part of my mental model relies on this idea of uh, three main compartments. So you've got the lip body, um, you've then got the orbicularis muscle that divides the, the main volume of the lip with the compartment we really don't want it to get into, which is the hypodermis. If you have a look at the diagram within the lip envelope, there is a potential space. If it was just going to flow from high pressure to low pressure, it's probably more likely to flow underneath orbicularis oris. And, and basically live in that cavity, which actually I, I think does happen. I think it's responsible for the kind of beak effect people get if they have multiple treatments for years. And they don't always lose definition, but it does spread slightly. I think Dr. Master uh, did some ultrasounds which show this as well, but you essentially it's spreading underneath the muscle a bit more easily. Um, and it would look, if you look at the anatomy, it kind of makes sense to me. Certainly that's that's my mental model of how it works. So I think the pressure gradient would be relatively unlikely to push it into the hypodermis. I think it might go into the deep orbicularis fat pad more likely if you place it correctly. Um, the idea of how many of the holes and whether they spread back through that, as I said, it doesn't, doesn't really feel like that. That would be a big component, but I haven't got any, it's not like a, we've, this has been studied. It's just my instinct based on injecting and how easily product flows. Integration is probably the biggest one. I, my experience with, with products is that they do integrate fairly well. And I, I do think it varies with product because I've certainly used one product for years, good FDA approved product um, that just caused much more easily you'd see migration. And, and as soon as I noticed it, I don't want to use it anymore. Switch to a different product, it holds its shape much better and you don't get that problem. So I think product makes a really big difference to uh, cert in certain places where you inject. Now, I do think you can improve it with injection technique. And I'm, I absolutely agree that we should be injecting um, anterior to the muscle. And in in that mo in a more superficial part of the red white border. So you're if you look at the pink white border, 
the entry point for the needle should always be in the pink on the pink white border, not right on the middle, because that's going to give you a little wall that will protect the filler from flowing in the other direction. So a good quality product that integrates fast, that stays and that's placed correctly, maximizes your chance of it staying put and not spreading into different areas. And I know you're not, you're not, you know, being promoting any particular products, but people will wonder what give us the good product that you would use in the lips. So, uh, so I do. I think Juvederm uh, Volift integrates best, and I and I can tell. Um, I can tell if people have had a different product um, injected in the same way. It just you get slight roundness. It's not even necessary migration. It's just less defined, and it's that lack of definition um, that it's a bit more likely with certain products. I believe that's certainly been my experience, and many will disagree with that. But but that, that's what I can see in my practice. So, guys, let us know what you think in the comments. What have you experienced? Is there anything we've left out that we sh you thought we should talk about? Would like us to talk about another show? We love your comments and we love your questions. So, please let us know down below. <laughs> <laughs>